0: Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 through chapter 3 verse 4 and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, because, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The word of the Lord.
1: We're spending this winter and spring listening in on on a correspondence between the Apostle Paul and the congregation of Christians in Corinth, a church that Paul had planted. And he says in verse 6, "'Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom.'" Now, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, this statement should strike you. "'Among the mature we do impart wisdom.'" You may you may remember that Paul has been talking about wisdom in a negative sense. So is he now taking back everything that he's been saying all along? He's been talking about how God's wisdom and the conventional wisdom of the world are opposed to each other. So why now say we do impart wisdom? Well, he's about to show them in this chapter, and you've just heard Cynthia read it. He's about to show them that their quote-unquote, spirituality, because they thought they were spiritual and intelligent. Their spirituality was actually based on the wrong wisdom, but that there was a wisdom. There was a wisdom from God that would make them wise. They thought they were wise, and Paul is saying, no, 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 you need to get wise. You need God's wisdom about the questions you have. They had written him a letter previously listing several questions about cultural issues in their community, in their society that were tearing them apart, that they were dealing with. And Paul is getting ready to answer those questions later in this letter, and he's laying the groundwork right now. He's saying, in order to deal with current issues in your culture, you need to get wise with God's wisdom about issues that they had asked. They had asked him about sexuality. They had asked him about gender they had asked him about what they were doing with their very physical bodies they were asking about marriage and singledness and family huh these are issues that we are dealing with in our society right now today you and i need the same type of wisdom that paul is talking about here in this passage Even today, 2,000 years later, in a very different part of the world, you and I need wisdom to discern what's going on in our society. And we need wisdom to discern it as people who are Christ followers. Now, before I continue, I just want to make a distinction. Wisdom and knowledge are both important. But from the Bible's perspective, I want you to think of wisdom as what you know. And th- I'm sorry, let me reverse that. I want you to think about knowledge as what you know. But I want you to think about wisdom this way. Wisdom is what you do with it. Knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. So Paul wasn't against wisdom and knowledge at all. But he was seeking after a true wisdom for spiritual discernment. And this is really important because in our society, spirituality has become a fad that people like to talk about. But spirituality is something in our culture that has now been detached from any system of beliefs. People say they are very spiritual, but not religious. That's, that's a growing category in our society so much now that it is actually a category in religious research. According to a study by uh, the by the Pew Center in 2012, so this is now seven years old, spiritual but not religious is a category for now 7% of the American population. 7% of Americans say they are spiritual but not religious. And 7% may need not seem like a lot of people to you, but... Seven percent of Americans, that's more than the number of people in America who would consider themselves to be atheists. That's more than practicing Jews. That's more than Muslims in our society. People who would say they are spiritual, but not religious. Spirituality detached from any objective sense of truth, right or wrong, or a worldview. I remember years ago, years ago, When I did go to the gym regularly, uh, one of the fitness trainers there who I would get into conversations with from time to time, when he found out that I was a pastor, uh, he said to me, you know, that's really amazing. You tell me the next time you're scheduled to preach, because back then I wasn't preaching every week. He said, you tell me the next time you're scheduled to preach at your church, because I want to visit. I want to come. But then get this. He said, I want to come. And I want to soak in all the spirituality. The church historian Richard Lovelace made a bold statement. He said spirituality cannot be full or complete unless it is based on faith in Jesus. That's bold. Jesus came to reveal God's hidden thoughts. Jesus Christ came to reveal God's secret wisdom, His plans for humanity. That's why the New Testament refers to Jesus as the wisdom of God, the Word of God in human flesh. God's Holy Spirit and God's Spirit alone grants us spiritual wisdom so that we can rightly understand what's going on in the world and understand what's going on in our lives, and know how to live. And today I want to talk to you about recognizing true spirituality. You're going to see that for Paul, spirituality and wisdom are connected. So we're going to talk about true spirituality. We're going to talk about also pursuing true spirituality. And then finally, embracing true spirituality. Recognizing, pursuing, embracing true spirituality. Now, recognizing the true spirituality is, according to Paul, absolutely essential. If you read what he said in verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, this, this would have tickled the Corinthians' ears. Now, these are people who are really into philosophy cults. You know, who, who speaks most eloquently and says the most interesting things, hang out with them and follow them and, and you know, share, share what they say in, in your social media posts. They were big on that. And then they ju- they'd make social clicks and then they'd judge each other based on who you followed and who you were close to uh, and, and what new ideas You were privy to. So they would have heard Paul say, Hey, we do actually impart a secret and hidden wisdom. And they'd have been like, Oh, really? Now they would have interpreted that as meaning some type of wisdom for the elite that wasn't available to everybody. But Paul corrects them. He goes on to say, Hold on, this is what I mean. He says in verse 9, This is what I'm talking about. The secret and hidden wisdom of God is this that nobody has seen or heard or understood until now what. God has prepared for people who love him. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. The secret hidden wisdom of God has to do with what God has prepared for his loved ones. In another letter, Paul clarifies it by saying this in Ephesians chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. He means what formerly was known as the nation of Israel, God's chosen special people. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the mystery is not some, some esoteric, idea that most of us cannot understand. No, Paul's saying the secret mystery of God is revealed in the gospel. God's secret hidden wisdom was finally revealed when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a cross and when Jesus rose and left the tomb three days later. That is what Paul is saying. That is God's wisdom, hidden for all the ages, finally revealed In Jesus Christ, that God is reconciled not only the Jews, but all of humanity to himself. And Paul goes on to say in verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, in theological terms, this is the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is what he's called in the New Testament, those three delineations. And he goes on to say in verse 11, because he explains what he means by this. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, your inward self? Who knows what you're thinking except you? You know what you're thinking. Nobody else knows what's going on inside your soul, inside your mind, but you do. Paul says no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Think of it this way. I often, I often ask myself, what is my wife thinking? Uh, if we're having an argument or, or if I want to bless her and, 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 and give her a special day or a special date or a special present, you start thinking, what, what is she thinking? Look at it this way. If you're a student, wouldn't it be great if you knew your professor's secret knowledge of what they're going to put on the final exam? Only they know, but wouldn't you love to know it? Some of you are in business. Some of you are in sales. Wouldn't you love to know your customers' hidden desires for what they think is the ideal product or the ideal service so you could serve them better, so so that you could be more profitable? Only that person knows what he or she is truly thinking. You can never know a person fully completely, but you can know them better by drawing closer to them, by listening, by observing, and you begin to learn. And not perfectly, but more intimately, you can begin to discover what it is that a person thinks, how they relate, how they understand life and the world. Uh, But how can you do that with the creator of the universe? And that's where Paul's going. How can you ever know the thoughts of God? He even quotes Isaiah again in verse 16. He says, who has understood the mind of the Lord? You cannot. It's impossible. But what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit reveals to you the mind of the Lord. The Holy Spirit reveals to you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the mind of God. And Jesus actually showed his apostles that that is exactly the case. Some of you know, when Peter said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Do you remember what what Jesus said to Peter? Blessed are you, Peter, for that has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. You could never have cooked up the wisdom, the intellect, the understanding on your own to discover who I am. Now, he said that to Peter who would become an apostle. Jesus further elaborated on it during the Last Supper in the upper room, the night before he was crucified. He said to his apostles who would go on to change the world and write much of what is now considered to be the New Testament, he said to them, he says, I'm gonna go away, meaning I'm about to be crucified and then ascend after I rise from the dead, ascend into heaven. I'm not gonna be with you on this earth Forever, and, and in the context of that conversation, he said to them, the helper. Now, the Greek word there for the helper, it's the word paraclete. It means a counselor, an advocate, an attorney, somebody to come alongside of you to advocate for you. That's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He said to them, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say, again, in Ephesians chapter 3, elaborating on this idea, Paul said, the mystery of Christ, now that's the gospel, the mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What's Paul's point in saying all of this? True spirituality is knowing God's thoughts. you want to be truly spiritual? You need to know the mind of God, the Spirit who created you. And he goes on to say this most outrageous thing in verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. The natural conventional wisdom of the world, the society in which we are raised, is not necessarily evil, but it is broken. It is limited. And it cannot comprehend God's means of salvation. God's Spirit, by faith in Jesus, enabled you as a sinner to believe God's salvation and to embrace it. Amen? You, you couldn't conceive grace. We talked about that weeks ago. What God did by sending his son to us to live a perfect life, to die our criminal sentence on the cross, to rise from the dead, to reconcile us to our creator, we would have never thought that up. It was the spirit of God that enabled you to recognize that that was God at work in Jesus Christ, to see it, to recognize it, to say, I need that, I need Jesus, and to embrace him. That is the Spirit of God at work. It's not enough to say you're spiritual. It's not enough to act or behave like you're spiritual. You must think spiritually. The New Testament talks about how we must repent, which literally means to change your mind, and how we must continually allow our minds to be transformed, no longer No longer after the pattern of how the world does things and thinks about things, but according to the pattern, the pattern of the Spirit of God at work in us. Don't be conformed to the world, Paul said somewhere else, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to be spiritual, Paul says, you have to think spiritually. Pursuing true spirituality must be directed by the one true God. I want to encourage you today to reframe all that you have learned up until this point in your life. Reframe all that you have learned and all that you know in light of God's wisdom. Everything you have studied, everything you have acquired, all the knowledge you have developed either either academically or, or in the workforce or by the things in life that you have suffered through, Take all of it, don't throw it out, take all of it and reframe it in light of God's wisdom. Biblical Christianity is not anti-intellectual. We don't throw our brains at the door when we come into the presence of the living God and seek His wisdom. Christianity, the message of Christianity requires all the thinking you can muster. It's not anti-intellectual, it's not anti-science, it's not anti-progress, it's not anti-justice. In the name of Jesus, we don't reject good business practices. We don't reject good science. We don't reject exploring and celebrating the arts. We certainly don't reject social justice, and, and we, we don't reject being good citizens in the name of Jesus being Christians. But we do need to remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to some people and foolishness to other people. The wisdom of God is a Savior crucified in humiliation on a Roman cross. And That is something that is not looked up to in our world. The wisdom of the world looks at the cross and says, that's ridiculous. We would never solve a problem that way. So we have to remember that. We don't throw our brains, our creativity, our desire for justice and government and good politics at the door when we come to faith in Christ. Frankly, most of those systems in our society exist Because Christians were using their faith in science, in the arts, in government. In a secularized society, which is where we are now, we don't throw all of that out in order to follow Jesus. No, but in the name of Jesus, we must now apply all that we know in light of Jesus' wisdom. And what's his wisdom? That the greater must serve the lesser. The wisdom of Jesus on the cross is the reality that in order to achieve healing and peace and progress in all of our worldly endeavors, we must humble ourselves in order to serve one another. That's the wisdom of the cross. That's what absolutely stumps and embarrasses the conventional wisdom of our world, God hanging On a cross. And and that's what we must remember. That's the wisdom of God. To save humanity. It's not sexy. It's not popular. It will not make you look intelligent and successful. But it's God's wisdom. For your salvation. For the forgiveness of your sins. For the eternal redemption of your body. For the peace and prosperity of your very soul. So reframe all that you have learned. And what you know in light of that. Wisdom. Worldly wisdom doesn't think that way. So we have to develop some consistent habits. And I'm just going to mention two to you right now. Two habits for Christians that you have to be about and practice daily. You've got to wise up and you've got to sober up. Wise up and sober up because the world is not going to help you think according to the wisdom of Christ. And when I say wise up, I mean begin to practice the wisdom of Christ to discern today's issues. And we're going to get to all of these in the coming weeks because Paul deals with them all in this letter. Sexuality and what we do with our bodies and how we look at marriage and relationships and singleness and family. We're going to start getting into all of this next week. I hope you come back. Sexuality in the body, human life family, marriages, singleness, all of this, we glorify God by becoming servants to serve one another because that is the wisdom of a crucified Messiah. And Paul's going to show us in all of those issues, which are really current issues for us, he's going to talk to the Corinthians about how to recast all that they know and all that their world is telling them about these different issues, which are now hot topics for us, according to the wisdom of Christ, according to the idea that we glorify our creator by becoming humble human beings to serve one another. It's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. Wise up and sober up. In all of these areas, in all of our endeavors, worldly thinking is opposed to the wisdom of Christianity. And so you must you must expect opposition. In your work, where you study, in your social groups, in your family, you're not gonna be the most popular person. You're not gonna be the person that everyone thinks is the smartest, is the most intelligent, is the the most likable, even if you are likable. Because the wisdom of this world is opposed to the wisdom of the cross. And if you live by the wisdom of Jesus Christ you will expect, you must expect opposition, external opposition. You also must expect opposition from within yourself. And maybe that's more important for some of us. Pursuing true spirituality is not a natural inclination. Paul said right in the middle of of this passage in in chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person, kind of like who we are when we're born, who we are if, if, if the God of the universe doesn't have an impact on us, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, you see, because they are spiritually discerned. If you're not a Christian, it's not a matter of intellect that you're not a Christian. It's not because you're too smart for Christianity, and it's not because you're too stupid for Christianity. According to Paul, the reason you're not a Christian is a matter of spiritual discernment. Biblically speaking, the fool is not necessarily somebody who's not intelligent. It's somebody who denies the wisdom of God. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, the teacher says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and and instruction. If you don't seek spiritual discernment, you will miss what God is doing in the world. You will miss what he is offering you. It's just like the rulers of Paul's day because they completely missed what God was doing, they crucified Jesus of Nazareth, which is the point Paul makes earlier in the passage. If they had recognized the wisdom of God, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now, if you consider yourself to be a Christ follower, are you rejecting the wisdom of God? Paul opens chapter three by saying, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. Now, he's talking to a group of Christians. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, natural people. People of the flesh as infants in Christ. Now, he's not saying that they didn't have the Spirit of God. They had received the Spirit of God. What he's saying to them is, you're acting as though you do not have the Spirit of God. You're acting like babies. And the proof of it is, if you keep reading the passage, Paul tells them it's their fighting. It's their conflict. Their divisions and divisiveness and their proudful boasting to Paul is evidence that they're acting like babies. Regardless of how intelligent and accomplished and sophisticated they were, they're acting like babies because they are acting as though the spirit of God had not reformed their minds. A lack of spiritual discernment will blind you to the truth, friend. Or a, bl- a, a lack of spiritual di- di- uh, a, a lack of spiritual discernment will stunt your growth in the truth. But embracing true spirituality, in conclusion, embracing this true spirituality from God, it requires submission to the mind of Christ. That is a bold and beautiful statement for Paul to say, we have the mind of Christ And when you ask yourself, what in the world does Paul mean? I want to refer you to something Jesus said to his apostles. Again, the night before he was crucified, he said to them, I no longer call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I have called you friends. Because all that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is really important because it shows us that wisdom The wisdom of God is only available through a friendship. That's that's how we receive and submit to the mind of Christ, by realizing that this is a relationship. You know, desiring to be spiritual without pursuing the Spirit who made you, it's like desiring to be friendly and not pursuing a friendship with anybody. Friendship requires an object. Spirituality requires an object. It must be connected to, true objective, to objective truth, which means spirituality must be connected to a person who has made you his friend, somebody who knows intimately what he thinks, and he even, call, he even says, I have taken everything that my Father has made known to me, and I'm making it known to you. You didn't want to pursue God. You never would have recognized it, but he pursued you in the truest form of friendship the world has has ever seen. Jesus showed you the love of God by sacrificing himself for you on the cross. And it's there that we begin to develop a friendship with the God who pursued us. And by looking at Jesus and by embracing Jesus and submitting to Jesus in all of our pursuits, We have the mind of Christ, which is to say we have the spirit of Christ convincing us of spiritual truths through the gospel. That is the basis of everything else we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians. We need the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God to properly discern everything we see in our society and understand how it applies to us. God's Spirit and God's Spirit alone grants to us spiritual wisdom in order to discern, in order to recognize Jesus. The Spirit of God enables you to recognize His Son for who He truly is, for what He's truly done, for what He wants to see happen in your life. So do you want to be spiritual? Great. But embrace friendship with Jesus. That's where true spirituality begins. Let His mind change yours. Reframe all that you have learned and all that you know in light of His wisdom, which is the cross and an empty tomb. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your table, we ask that you would set aside for us these normal elements, bread and a cup. And and we ask that you would nourish us spiritually as we remember the death of your son, as we have hope that he rose from the dead and is coming back. Father, would you grant us the wisdom of your Holy Spirit at work in us? And Father, if there is anyone in the room today who has yet to receive your wisdom, in Jesus, your son. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring them closer by your power to see Jesus for who he truly is. Amen.